Hello and welcome to the Grace Avenue Church Podcast. As you listen to this message, I pray that you're built up, encouraged through God's Word, and I pray that His Holy Spirit leads you and guides you in the way that you should go. I pray that He gives you answers for your questions, healing and help for your life. Most importantly, I pray that this Word helps you to become more like Jesus and a greater influence for Him in our church and in your world. Now, let's grow together. Enjoy the message. Hey man, so good to be with you this morning. Uh, I'm excited about today. Pastor Frank DiMaggio is my pastor for uh, many years now, and I would say that, long story short, we met over Twitter. That's kind of a strange way to meet your pastor, but we met over Twitter, uh, and he has been with us many, many times, and all from 20, late 2015 all the way through 2019, he was with us sometimes twice a year. Uh, then the pandemic hit, and it got a little crazy, and he hasn't been back since 2019, and I'm super honored that he's here. But I, I want to take a moment to just tell you how much he means to me. Uh, he came in in a season where, obviously, a lot of you kind of know the story where, you know, we went through our own health challenges in the hospital and all of that stuff. And he was just such a rock in that season to help us get through the stuff that we were going through. Uh, Pastor Frank battled cancer years ago, uh, was on at death's door and has overcome that and has made, made a full recovery. And then even last year, he hit uh, another health challenge and his amazing wife, Sharon, was by his side for two and a half months through all the uncertainty. Uh, and as you can see, he's still with us today, mighty, serving God. Thank you, Sharon, for standing with him. Thank you, God, for keeping him, protecting him. Uh, but this man, and he means so much to me. And I mean it when I say that I don't know uh, where I would be or who I would be without his impact and his influence in my life. He means the world to me. Uh, I pray for him all the time. Uh, and I declare long life over him. Uh, and I'm hoping he leaves me copies of all his notes whenever God does decide to take him. Because it hasn't happened the last few times. It's been scary. So I want you to do me a favor and stand up for a man we affectionately call the spiritual Obi-Wan Kenobi of our life and of this church. Pastor Frank DeBazio, thank you so much. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Daniel and Janelle for the invite again to be with the marvelous church here at Grace. Uh, like you said, we've been uh, together now for several years, and I've been here several times except for the last, what, two or three years because of the pandemic and other stuff. But we are good, and uh, my wife was with me, Sharon. Why don't you stand and let them take a gander at you? Yeah, she looks young and beautiful. And everywhere we go, you know, people greet us. And we know people all over the world because of college and church plants and wherever we go. And uh, they'll always greet, greet Sharon and I, and they'll go, Oh, Sharon, you never change. You look so good. Hi, Frank. <laughs> and I'd say, She looks good because of me. You know, you got to realize there's a... Okay, we are blessed to be here. And uh, I want to congratulate Daniel and Janelle on their uh, navigating the church through the, uh, through the uh, pandemic. Uh, I'm in contact with literally hundreds of churches. And a lot of churches 
went into the pandemic weak, and they came out weaker. Some don't even exist anymore. Churches that went in strong came out stronger. Grace Avenue came out stronger. You went through the valley up the other side, and here you are. And you're thriving. You're growing. You're moving forward. You have vision. You have challenges. You're in a great church. You have great leadership. I met a bunch of the leaders on Friday night when we were together. What a great group. What a great future. Great attitude. Good vibe. Uh, things are, are working well for Grace Avenue Church. I'm very proud of you guys. Very proud of the leadership team and getting to know you over the years and watching the church change and grow has been a real blessing for me to have any small part that I've had in that. Uh, I want to uh, talk with you this morning in the time that I have, which the, the clock seems to, to go slow during worship and speeds up during preaching. That seems to be the nature of a clock. Uh, and so I'm going to try to use my time as well as I can and get in as much as I can. But over the years, Sharon and I have, uh, we pastored only two churches. Uh, the mother church that I was in and taught in the Bible College for five years and was sent from there to plant a church in Eugene, Oregon, University of Oregon City. And we were there for 12 years. So the Lord blessed, church grew. We planted several churches out of there. And after 12 years, uh, Brother Dick Iverson, who was a pastor of the mother church, asked me to come back and take that church and pastor that church. It was a life grueling decision because I loved our church so much. But him being my spiritual father and wanting me to help him so that we could do so much more with the fellowship, I took it. I did it. And so I went back to Portland and pastored that church for 25 years. And uh, we saw a lot of things happen. And in that, whenever a church grows, there's a uh, natural side, spiritual side. The spiritual side, obviously, is you better have the, the principles and the, the right spirit and doctrine and vision and faith and sacrifice and all the ingredients that are shaken up in a growing church. A non-growing church that is dead, doesn't need faith to do anything. The people are bored with church anyway. They don't have vision to do much of anything. Obligation to get there and do their hour service and then get on with life. That's what I call deader than Julius Caesar church. And so you're not that way. You're a live church. You're thriving. You have a great attitude. And you want to build church. You want to do the right thing. And that, that's an awesome thing to have in a congregation. In the, in the years that we pastored, the, the natural side is you have to make room. Everyone say make room. Come on, everybody talk to me. Make room. make room. You have to make room for people. Because the church is not about buildings. The church is not a, the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in that pillar right there. It doesn't dwell in the lights. doesn't dwell in the, in the whatever that thing is. Uh, it doesn't dwell in organs and pianos and carpet. It dwells in the people. And so you are the church. You're where the Holy Spirit dwells. But the buildings serve us, just like tables serve us and organization uh, serve us and banks serve us because we have to have certain things done right to be a good church. You have to have a, a good organization. You have to have good banking. You have to have good credit. You have to have good deposits and, and good budgets. And you, gotta, you have to do the natural side, not to kill the spiritual side. Part of the natural side is having a building that you can grow into. Uh, when a building is 
filled to 75%, that's about all you'll ever get in that room is about 75%. Uh, because people will not stack on top of each other to come to church and be split up to sit and family over there and the kids over there. It's not going to happen. And so you make room. To make room, you build a building or you remodel a building. And I've done a lot of buildings in my lifetime. I'll tell you right now, we've done a lot of buildings and building programs and and from scratch or remodel and campuses and, and all that because it's part of the necessary piece called growth. And this church wants to grow. Can I hear an amen? amen. We don't want to stay the same. We want to grow. Uh, we're not trying to have our own little party and no one else can come. Yeah. We're, not, we're not trying to have this little church over here. And then I got my friend, got my parking space, I got my tacos after the service like Friday night, delicious tacos and all the party and the music going on. What a wonderful atmosphere you guys create from the door right into the sanctuary. But to grow means you have to sit next to a stranger. Who are you? <laughs> what happened to Mary? That she always sits there. Can you scoot over two seats? Because I know she's, you know, who took my parking space this morning? You know, they park right where I always park. How many of you sit pretty close to where you sit every Sunday right now in the chair you're in right now? Let me see your hand. That's where you sit. Okay. That's it. How many of you sit in a different seat every Sunday? How many of you sit closer or further back? How many sit closer every Sunday? I see that hand while the organ's playing softly. Uh, you know, we have our habits about church where we feel comfortable. And so making room for new people to come to church and all that uh, requires giving, and it requires sacrifice, and it requires something that new people, maybe you're new. How many are in this church, uh, and you've only been here six months or less? Let me see your hands. Six months or less. How many have been in this church one month or less? How many have been in this church over one year, over two years, over three years, over four years, over five years, six years, 10 years? Well, we know you're lying because the church wasn't here <laughs> 10 years ago. And so, well, that's awesome that we have so many people that are new and so many people that are carrying the vision that have been here for a long time. I want to talk with you this morning about amazing givers, amazing givers, going beyond what does it take to become an amazing giver. In the Bible, there are 2,930 people, I thought you might want to know that, that are referred to in the Bible, 2,930 people. But only 100 of those people do you have any story on, like an Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, etc. Some of them have chapters. Some of them have one chapter, like David has a couple books of the Bible. Abraham, I mean, these people had a lot of story in the Bible. You want to study Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Ruth, any of those, Jesus, Apostle Paul, Peter, they all have a lot of things you can study in the Scripture about them. Only a 100 have that in the Scriptures. Only a 100 people have story in the scripture that you can get to know. Of those 100 people, you will get to know a lot about faith. You get to know a lot about the supernatural and miracles. 
you get to know a lot about giving because of the hundred people, many of them have set the stage to be outrageous and amazing givers. That's where the giving principles come from is those hundred people, more like 30 of them. And so when we study the Bible and we look at what God says in the Bible about giving, we look at these characters and we look at the Abrahams and by faith and leave Calde and you know, go to where you're not even going. And, and then what happens with his whole life and his sacrifices. And, and then you follow Isaac, the same thing. We, we don't know much about sowing in famine until you study the life of Isaac. That's where the principles come from. You don't know much about the miracles in the wilderness unless you're going to study Moses and the whole church and everything that's in that. And so you have in there amazing stories about giving. And so I want you to be more than average. Nobody is blessed when someone comes up to you and say, I've been watching you, and you are such an average parent. <laughs> I mean, you're a C plus. No, no doubt you're a C plus. Or they come up and say, you know, you're an amazing person. I've been watching you in business. You're just an average business person. I want to be just like you. I want to be close to lukewarm, but a little better. I want to be average. I want to be a C plus. I, you know, it's just an amazing uh, thing about you, you people. You, you do things so well. I want to be like that. So nobody wants to be known as Mr. or Mrs. Average. Oh, you're an average student. If you introduce your child, here's my child. Oh, well, so wonderful. She's a wonderful child. She's an average student. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, what does that mean? You know, she gets straight C's, and I'm happy for that. You would never introduce your child as an average child. Yeah, she can't sing, she can't dance, but she does cook. And so you, you introduce them as an average child. Nobody in this room wants to be known as an average anything. You know, somebody greets you and say, oh, you're an average Christian. Oh, I don't think that was a compliment, an average Christian. Or how about somebody who knows a little about you say, hey, you're an average giver. You're an average giver. You're a C plus, and I'd like to be just like you. I'd like to just be average. That wouldn't bless your soul. But if someone came up to you and said, you know what? You are an amazing person. That might get your attention. Wow. I didn't know. Yeah, I, you're so kind and generous and loving to people I've been watching. You're just you're just an amazing person, or a business person. The way you run your business and the way you do it, you're an amazing businessman, businesswoman. I, I can't believe how great you guys run that business. You're an amazing carpenter. You're an amazing electrician. You're an amazing salesman. You're an amazing human being. You might kind of stretch a little bit and say, I am, yes, I'm amazing. I'm going to write a rap song, amazing, amazing, I'm amazing, amazing. And so you kind of feel that vibe because nobody wants to be average and nobody wants to raise average anything and no church should ever want to be average. Yeah, yeah. What kind of church you go to? Average. It's a, it's a wonderful average place. They'll never push you to do too much. You can sit in the service. We're out in 55 minutes. You know, they never ask for money. It's an average church, and I just love to put my life there because it doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't push me anywhere. It just is a place to land for Sunday, do my obligation, and get out of here. This church, my church, and the churches we build, Holy Spirit churches, we're not here 
for obligation's sake. We're not here just to get through a Sunday service. We're not here just to say, when can I go to brunch? When can I leave here? This, you know, the worship is going off along this morning. They sure do repeat a lot of words in those songs. <laughs> why, why don't they just cut it short and get to it? Matter of fact, just do one song and let the preacher get on. Maybe he'll end on time one time. And so you, you, you have an attitude about the church. But when you're in love with Jesus, in love with the spirit, in love with the house, your hands are up, your heart's beating, you're singing your praise with all your strength. Time just goes by. You're saying, why did you end so soon? Why, why did the worship stop so soon? Why, did the, why does the preacher keep going on? Don't say that to preachers because they'll keep going on. And so church is where we get life and we have life and we love the house and we want to build something. We want to make room for people. Would you ever want to be in a church that was average for the unsaved? So you have statistics. How many people have been saved this year? I think we had two. I think we had two. Uh, really, two. And, and then you're proud of the two? Yeah, I mean, that's better than zero. But that's certainly below average. If this congregation, this size, only had two people saved. How many healings? Oh, we don't do healings, you know. How many miracles? We don't do miracles, you know. That's for Noah, Mary, and all those people. We don't do miracles. Uh, what about the... The healing of families. I'm not sure, but I'm sure somewhere. Church is a place to see God move, see the miracles happen, see people saved, see broken families. By the way, by the way, people, how many of you came into this church, you were broken and you're now healed? How many came into this church and you had a, a, a religious bondage about church and then you found a spiritual freedom that caused you to love church and you started loving this house and loving worship. How many of you never lifted your hand before until you got here and prayed out loud? You were kind of a, you were kind of a quiet Christian. You know, somebody said, pray for a group. No, not me. You know, let, let the missionaries do that. I don't do that. But you, in a church where you worship, you pray, you help each other, you, you laugh, you sing, you, you party together. Come on, how many of you love this house? You love this house because... It affects your life. It affects your life. Giving, to be an amazing giver, is a choice. Holy Spirit's not going to come on you and make you do this, twist your arm, twist your heart, and say, you will be an amazing giver. I'm going to make you an amazing giver. And if you don't become an amazing giver, I'm going to cut holes in your bag and drain you of every cent you have. And you're going to go backwards the rest of your life. That's the will of God for you. You're stingy. You're hard. And because you're not going to be amazing, I'm going to clip on the bag. I'm going to put. God doesn't do that. He, he will let you have your bag of coins. And he won't push you backward. He will love you no matter what you give, no matter what you do. The love of God is not bought with money. It's not bought with that whole scenario. God will always love you. But it's your choice to become a giver that's amazing. And everybody in this room could make the decision, I'm going to become amazing in my giving. I'm going to shock myself. I'm going to push myself out of the comfort zone. Our whole life has been giving for the work of God, the people of God, the church, missionaries, orphans. We have given generously for years and years and years. Why? Because I love the house. Why? I love people. Why? I love to see people make room for more unsaved and prodigals to come into the house of God. 
I love to see prodigals come back to Christ. I love to see that happen. And a thriving atmosphere is going to make that happen in the house of God. Would you say with me just out loud, I'm willing. How many would say with me again, I'm willing? How many know you just pushed a button in heaven and the Holy Spirit says, what did you say? I'm willing. Okay. Let's get on with it then. Some of the things that's going to happen is going to be amazing. Now, when we talk about an amazing giver, and you choose it, you choose it. It's your heart. It's your heart to tithe. You don't have to tithe. You can get 3%, 9%, 9.5%, get to 10%. Or you can just simply do your bills every month and look at your chart and say, you know, there's no room for tithing. If I tithe, I'll go backwards. So when, when I get more money, I'll start tithing because right now I only have this much and a tithe would be, geez, a tithe would be, a, oh my God, it would be $100 a month, you know, if I'm making 1000 a month or, you know, nobody in this room is making 1000 a month, maybe. Uh, a lot of you are making at least 1500 2000 uh, maybe 3000 maybe 5000 Maybe, maybe, maybe. And so when you're making 100 and you give $10, you think that that was painless. That's no problem. But you're making 1000 you give 100 it's like, now that hurts a little bit. You know, when you're making 3000 and you give 300 it's like, how far will this go? How much money does God need? I mean, is heaven populated with poor people or what's going on up there? How does God spend his money? Why do I have to give? Is it because God is broke? Everyone say, no. Obviously, God is not broke. Is it because God just likes to take? I see your money. I'm going to take it, take it, take it, take it. Like a little Pac-Man. I'm going to take your money. Because that's what I do. I'm a generous, loving God. But I'm going to take your money. And I'm going to use it somehow. God doesn't need your money. And the church will never go broke because you don't tithe. So your tithe is not going to change anything. Tithing and giving is not really to change the church. It's to change you. It is a faith builder. It's a trust builder. When you finally put your money where your heart is and you write that tithe check, you're saying, I trust God to do more with the 90% than the 100%. I have trust in God to multiply what I'm doing. I believe what Malachi 3 says, that there will be open windows of heaven, and there will come in finances I know not of, and there will be promotions, and things will start happening in my life because I'm living by faith. Literally, tithing is living by faith. That's a good realm of faith to live so that you trust God that he can multiply whatever you give. Tithe's the first step. There's only two words in the Bible about finance, tithe, offerings. Tithe is tithe, 10%. People say, well, can I tithe 5%? Duh, the word means 10. <laughs> well, I know it means 10, but can I do 5? Well, no, I, don't, I, I didn't make up the rule. You do 2%, you do 3 you do 5 you do 7 you do 12 you do 12%. You do 15%. It's a, I didn't come up with this process. It's a God thing. Why did he say, if you have 10 apples, give God one? If you have 10 acres, give God one? Because it's a 
faith involvement of what you give and what you have, and you're acknowledging everything belongs to the Lord. The reason they did the first fruits, first fruits in the Bible, you've heard the word, I'm sure someone taking an offering, let's give our first fruits. Well, first fruits was that they would take the first of the harvest, and they would then have a feast and a prayer meeting, so to speak, with the priest, and they would offer the first of the fruits, the first of the harvest. And this is what they would pray. Now, Lord, we offer you the best and the first. Now, guard the harvest. Don't let the mildew get to it. Don't let any of those little wiggly worms chew it all up. Don't let the hail storms come unto my harvest. Lord, we give you the first fruit of this land and this wheat field or whatever it was. Now it belongs to you. You protect it. You multiply it. You make it. When you tithe, you're saying to God, Lord, here's my first of all my fruits. Now you guard my fruit. You guard my field. You guard people that would take advantage of me and people that would, you know, do things that would be wrong with my money and some accident that comes in or some crisis that takes everything. Lord, guard me. Protect me. That's what you're saying when you tithe. It's a piece of faith that is going into your heart. Can I hear an amen? amen? All right. How many of you tithe? Don't lift your hand. I didn't want to ask that question. But I want you to ask the question, why aren't you? What stops you? What's wrong with that level of faith? If you haven't done it, start. You know, in the Bible, it says when you tithe, don't borrow from your tithe. That's in the Bible. And God says if you do, it's a 20% charge. God's a banker. He's a banker. And he meant it. If you take from the tithe, you pay it back with 20%. And so we had a little jar when we were first married, and our tithe went into that's back in the days, you know, when, when letters were delivered by stagecoaches and stuff. And so we had the little jar, and we put our tithe in there for the week, and then we would give it on Sundays. I couldn't borrow from that jar. I couldn't say, oh, you know, a little pizza here, a little burger there. You know, God understands that I need to buy this book. And I couldn't take from that jar. That belonged to God. It's separated. It's sacred. It might look like a normal dollar bill to you, but when it's given to God, it's a sacred dollar bill. It's a sacred offering. There, there's something in the money. Money in the Bible is not just a natural thing. Money is a spiritual thing. Money moves the heavenlies. Money moves the hand of God. Money has a lot more power in it when it's given to God than you could ever imagine. And so I want to become an amazing giver. Would you, would you confess that to your neighbor and say, I think I could do this? Go ahead, talk to one another. Boy, you're really a noisy group this morning, I tell you. How many are getting something out of my message so far? How many have been, how many have, how many of you have at least calculated how you live and you're thinking I might make a couple adjustments? You know, you, as the word of God is preached, things happen in the heart. Now, here's scripture for you. Luke 6, 38. Give, everyone shout the word give. give. Now, Jesus was never afraid to talk about finances or giving. And he had a lot to say about a stingy person, had a lot to say about the person who hid his, his uh, 
money in the ground uh, so that nothing could be, uh, you know, influenced on that money. It couldn't be taken from him. Uh, but Jesus in this scripture is pretty straightforward where he says, give. Everyone say it again, give. give. Now, this is a Bible word. This is not a Frank DiMaggio made-up word. It's a Bible word, give. And could this be right that Jesus would say, and it will be given to you? Well, that's a, that messes with my motivation right there because then I'm giving to get. No, you're giving by faith with expectation for God to do what God does. And you can't, you can't stop it. God says, when you give, it'll be given to you. Wow, how will it be given to me? A good measure, pressed down, which I had time to take every one of these apart because each one of these Greek words are so descriptive of the kind of thing that happens when you give. Things begin to move. You give in good measure, pressed down. What does that mean? Presses everything down so there's more room. Shaken together, running over, sounds like Psalms 23, and will be poured into your lap. Now, either Jesus is a liar or he understands finances. I vote for Jesus. And I vote for scripture. That what I'm preaching is the good thing for you. When I was first a young pastor, it was very hard for me to preach on money because I felt concerned for the single mother and the and the guy who's going through a bankruptcy in the business, because I know all the people. Uh, you know, business isn't going good. They just sent two kids off to college, and now they have, you know, they have all this money, and they're trying to start a business. Or, oh, and then I'm going to get up and say, you got to give. I remember during a, uh, the last recession, I was raising money for uh, something, and it was probably building-related, and, uh, and it was a large amount. And I remember the tension I was going through even though we had a sizable church and I didn't know everybody of the few thousands we had, but I knew a lot of the business people and the key people, and so I had this tension. God, how do I preach this in good faith, in integrity, and not pressure and manipulate or do anything that would hurt the people? And I'm asking people to give, and I know they're in trouble, and I know things are hard. And God stopped me in my office, just like that. And God said to me in very clear terms, Frank, do you think that giving is good for the church or good for the people? I know A is the answer, but I live by B. Um, it's, it's good for people, right? He said, yes, giving it's good for the people. If you don't teach the people to give, you're robbing them of what will happen in their life. Whether you ever build another building, ever send another missionary, their giving has great influence on their life. And when they present that seed, it becomes my seed, not your seed. And I know what to do with seed. I can water it. I can grow it. I can bless it. I can send favor on them. I can do things for them that nobody else can do. Never apologize for putting the people in a place of blessing. You are a shepherd, and you have to preach this with great faith and do it with an open heart and confess that you have a problem with it and let the people pray for you because you need prayer, Frank. 
And so I gave into that. I said, I got that. And I had the church pray for me because I'm a very vulnerable kind of a preacher. My life is out there. I was always that, that way with the people. I, I couldn't preach something I didn't own or didn't really totally believe. Or if I, if I felt the people weren't going to be uh, growth by this growing or blessed or faith, whatever, it would be hard for me to really preach it. So I had to get it right in my mind. Giving is for you and what God wants to put in your lap. What you give toward is for leadership to lead the church toward the future. You can't control that. You can't control your tithe. You can't give your tithe or offering or something and then say to Daniel, but I only want that money used for widows. It doesn't work that way. I only want the money used for, doesn't work that way. Once you give it, it becomes an offering unto God, and the leadership have to guide the church through that. That's where trusting leadership and trusting principle and integrity becomes so, so important. How about your finances? How many of you would love to, to be given with a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, would be poured into your lap? But this last sentence, if I would have been the... Uh, you know, the writers of the manuscripts, when this was interpreted from the Aramaic to the Greek, the Hebrew to the Greek, the Greek to the English, the English now, the translation. If I was writing this as a translator, I would have left the last sentence out. For the measure you use will be the measure you receive. I like the first part. <laughs> Give, and you will receive back good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Pour it into your lap. Okay, I got it. Thank you, Jesus. Shandai Rama. Hallelujah. This is an amazing thing. I'm going, but this last sentence puts a qualification on it. The same measure you use will be the measure you receive. Pretty blatantly straightforward. Meaning, you have some control over measure. You can give with a thimble. You can give with a cup. You can give with a bucket. You can give with a wagon. You can give with a U-Haul trailer. You can give, I mean, the size and capacity of your instrument that you give has a lot to do with how you will receive back the same measure. Like the king who needed water for his kingdom and the moat was all dry, so he threw a party and he said to everybody, bring water from your rivers and places. I, I need water for my moat. And bring it in whatever you want. So people brought water in, in buckets and cups and all kinds of containers from the smallest to the largest. And then they poured them into the king's moat. And at the end of the feast, the king said, okay. He threw open the curtains. He says, here's my treasure. You are now welcome to it. But he said, this is the only qualification with the same vessel that you brought the water in, the cup, the bucket, the wagon, that's the vessel you can use to scoop up the treasure. So those people that brought the little box of water poured it in and said, oh, okay, man, I'm in. I helped the king. Some with buckets. Boy, when it came time to receive with the same measure, the same container, same container, they were saying, I wish I would have had a bucket. I wish I would have had a trailer. 
I wish I would have given this way or that way, and now I, I have this measure that's going to come back to me. There's a law in the kingdom of God that controls giving and finance. There's laws, and that law is tied to a thing called sacrifice. When God sees sacrifice as the, as the carrier of your finance, if it's a sacrifice, it's in a different realm than a person who just gives out a surplus. And by the way, that's in the Bible. That's with the widow. When Jesus said, look at this woman here. She, she has given more than everybody in the room. And the disciples said, come on, Jesus, she, she gave a few mites. I mean, here's this guy down at the inn who gave bagfuls. And she gave a few mites. And that's how they gave in those days. They were containers for the larger offerings all the way down. They looked like a horn. And you would drop your offering in. The rich would go to one end and drop in their offering. And they would go from extremely large all the way down. The widow is standing at the least where she's just going to give two pennies and drop them in. And the disciples say, wow. Jesus says, this woman, this woman right here, she gave more than all of them. How? How did she give more than all of them, Jesus? Because they all gave out of painless surplus. There was no sacrifice. They didn't feel anything. It's money that they had. It's money that, you know, they can just throw that direction. But this woman, she gave out of her need, out of her life, painful giving. She gave everything she had and then trusted God to do something with her life. What is your giving going to be like for the building that you're getting ready to do? Because this building represents a new footprint for you. It represents a a new open door for you to have new families and people that can fit in, people that can have a parking lot, people that have more room for the kids and more room for everything. And so you have more room to do what you got to do because God wants the saved and the prodigals and all those people to come into the house of God. But you got to make room for them. And there's always a generation of people that pay for another generation that's coming in. And so literally you can say when you build this building, not build it, but you remodel it, and, and you raise your 350000 to start, which is very doable, and you get into this, you're going to feel such ownership when you open that service and the new people are coming in and this new person sits next to you and, and you say to them, welcome to Grace Avenue. I bought your chair. <laughs> what? Yeah, I, I bought your chair. Because without my offering, there would be no chair. And we made room for you. We made room for you to come and room for you to be in this house. You will be the generation that makes room for a whole nother level of unsaved and prodigal to come in. Can somebody in this 1130 service shout a big amen? Amen. Thank you. Thank you for that clap. Okay. I know the clock says minus, so that means I (laughs) somehow I lost track of time. But I still have, well, I have nothing (laughs) because it's minus, but I'm going to still go a few more minutes. How many would let me go a few more minutes? Is, Is it okay? I won't take advantage of your liberality of being here, but just let me say a couple more things. 
Amazing givers go beyond. Now, if you're going to be an amazing giver, this would be one of the definitions you would definitely want to take down and maybe just paste it somewhere, look at it somewhere, and check yourself. Amazing givers do it with an attitude of extravagance. That's the word I chose, extravagance. Why? Because that's what Abraham did. That's what the widow did. That's what the widow in the Old Testament with the prophet did. It was extravagant. It was sacrificial. It's enough of a story so that this widow is uh, uh, collecting sticks to start a little fire with the last little crumbs she has to bake a tiny little cake for her and her son to eat and die. And so when the prophet came up, he said, what are you doing? She says, I'm gathering sticks to build a fire to bake a little pie so that my son and I can eat and die. He says, I want you to bake me one first. How bold. How bold. I mean, this woman is telling I'm going to die. And you say, how, how much do you have? Enough for one? Well, bake me one first. I mean, you got to either know something or be the hardest guy in the world. He knew something. Because this widow was in for the greatest blessing ever. And she said, I will. She brought back the cake. And he says, this is what's going to happen to you. Your cruise of oil will never run out. Your cruise of flour barrel will never run out. For all the years, you will have miracle bread for the rest of your time. You won't die, and you have this miracle flowing in your house for the rest of your life. How many know that widow's day was made right there? For me and my son, for the rest of your life. Why? Because you honored God with such a sacrificial peace that that is so sacred. I'm going to give you the miracles you always wanted, but you can't create yourself. Sure enough, it happened for that woman. Extravagant. That was extravagant for the prophet to even bring that up. I don't know how I would even say it to a dying woman. Well, cook for me first, baby. Uh, you know, it just, it just sounds so horrible. But if you know something, if you know something, you know the blessing that's coming to this widow. That compels us to give something that is astonishing, incredible, extraordinary, because it's boldness. One scripture, just one scripture. Mark 14.3. Jesus was at Bethany. Bethany has a history now. This little town has a history with Jesus. A guest of Simon the leper. Simon the leper is the leper Jesus healed. And so he's now in a city where he has done marvelous works. He's now in the house. How would you like to have a house with a person who was a leper from head to foot? And now he's hosting you and serving you Good food, whatever good food for you is. It would be, for me, it would be enchiladas, you know, like we ate the other day. Now, that, that's God's food right there. You know, uh, I mean, I love it. He is in the miracle house. Simon is the miracle. And while he was eating dinner, a woman came up carrying a bottle of very expensive perfume. Opening the bottle, she poured it on his head. And some of the guests became furious. That's criminal. A sheer waste of this beautiful, costly 
perfume, to be wasted on his feet. Jesus, of course, rebukes them, and he says, she's doing this because of my burial. She is actually anointing me for my burial and believing for my resurrection. This woman sees things in the oil you don't see at all. There's no waste here. It's only prophetic, and it's a gift, and it's something that is sacrificial, and this woman will go down in history as one of the greatest women in the world, and wherever the gospel is preached, this story is going to be told. That's what Jesus said. And so there's something about you taking that costly perfume and doing something to it that makes it a sacred gift. You have an opportunity in front of you, and that opportunity is for you to move forward in the natural and in the spiritual. The opportunity takes a little bit of faith, maybe a whole lot of faith. The opportunity is there. God has said it, and I'm going to believe for you. I'm going to believe God will will just more will more than meet the needs that is required. Amen. That you will see money come in through you, but also outside forces, outside influences, outside money. Some people you don't even know. My son had a check given to him of a few hundred thousands. He's a pastor of a businesswoman in another city because their kid went to that church and was transformed. She sent in a large check of three, four hundred thousand dollars. Now, if you looked at his congregation, see, there's, no, there's nobody going to give a check for three or $400,000. But you don't see everything God sees. You don't know everything God knows. God will provide. And things will come through you. Like I said Friday, if God can get it through you, he can get it to you. Get that through. All right, let me pray for you right now. I want you to take that pledge card that's right in front of you on the seat there. Everybody, whether you're going to use it or not, just pick one up and have it in your hand so that there's some reality to what I'm saying about your faith and your pledge and your giving. And so I want to pray for you as you, by faith, maybe you're not ready to fill this out. Daniel will do all that. I'm not going to get into that. But I know that I, I my wife and I, we have taken a card. We're going to fill one out. And we're going to give to your church. And we certainly don't go here. And so we, we believe that sowing into good soil is a wise thing to do. So we're going to sow into you and believe God to supply everything you need. And I want you to believe with me for yourself. How many of you right now are stirred up a little bit in your heart to be an amazing giver? How, how many? Come on, let me see your hands. You say, you know what? I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'm believing I'm not going to be average. I'm going to be an amazing giver. Let's pray over that card right now, okay? Father, I pray over the church. Father, I pray over this congregation. I pray over every man and woman business, starting businesses going. Lord, I pray open heavens. I pray divine interventions. I pray divine provision. I pray Jehovah Jireh. Lord, I pray that there will be floodgates of heaven open up over this church and they will move forward to a new level, a new, a whole new level of ministry and a whole new level of reaching people for this city. Lord, we call in the prodigals right now. We call in the unsaved right now. Lord, we call in the broken families and the broken people. 
Lord, we call in those that are steeped in other religious ideas that will come to Christ because we are going to take this atmosphere and move it a few miles and drop it on that building. And when this atmosphere is dropped on that building, the divineness of God, the holiness of God, the, that revival spirit that God wants to put on this city and on this church is going to drop upon the congregation. There will be open heaven. There will be miracles. There will be interventions. There will be salvations you never thought would happen. There will be your relatives and your friends that will be saved that you never thought would happen. Lord, we're open for a revival in this city. We're, we're open for a move of the Holy Spirit, and we want to be a part of it. And Lord, we're making room for that. Lord, come and bless these people. Do a mighty work, mighty work in and through them. In Jesus, 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 mighty name. Well, I pray that that word blessed you. If you'd like to know more about Grace Avenue Church or want to know more about how to be a part of what God has called us to here in the city of San Antonio, or if you'd like to sow financially into our vision and mission, please visit us online at graceavenuechurch.com. Thanks so much for listening. We hope to see you soon.